Chapter Six of Pictures from Italy by Charles Dickens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anthony Ogus. Through Bologna and Ferrara. There was such a very smart official in attendance at the cemetery where the little Cicerone had buried his children that when the little Cicerone suggested to me in a whisper that there would be no offence in presenting this officer in return for some slight extra service with a couple of pools about ten pence english money i looked incredulously at his cocked hat wash leather gloves well-made uniform and dazzling buttons and rebuked the little cicerone with a grave shake of the head for in splendour of appearance he was at least equal to the deputy usher of the black rod and the idea of his carrying as jeremy didler would say such a thing as tenpence away with him seemed monstrous he took it in excellent part however when i made bold to give it him and pulled off his cocked hat with a flourish that would have been a bargain at double the money it seemed to be his duty to describe the monuments to the people at all events he was doing so and when i compared him like gulliver in brobdingnag with the institutions of my own beloved country i could not refrain from tears of pride and exultation he had no pace at all no more than a tortoise he loitered as the people loitered that they might gratify their curiosity and positively allowed them now and then to read the inscriptions on the tombs he was neither shabby nor insolent nor churlish nor ignorant he spoke his own language with perfect propriety and seemed to consider himself in his way a kind of teacher of the people and to entertain a just respect both for himself and them they would no more have such a man for a verger in westminster abbey than they would let the people in as they do at bologna to see the monuments for nothing again an ancient sombre town under the brilliant sky with heavy arcades over the footways of the older streets and lighter and more cheerful archways in the newer portions of the town again brown piles of sacred buildings with more birds flying in and out of chinks in the stones and more snarling monsters for the bases of the pillars again rich churches drowsy masses curling incense tinkling bells priests in bright vestments pictures tapers laced altar-cloths crosses images and artificial flowers there is a grave and learned air about the city and a pleasant gloom upon it that would leave it a distinct and separate impression in the mind among a crowd of cities though it were not still further marked in the traveller's remembrance by the two brick leaning towers sufficiently unsightly in themselves it must be acknowledged inclining crosswise as if they were bowing stiffly to each other a most extraordinary termination to the perspective of some of the narrow streets the colleges and churches too and palaces and above all the academy of fine arts where there are a host of interesting pictures especially by guido domenichino and ludovico caracci give it a place of its own in the memory even though these were not and they were nothing else to remember it by the great meridian on the pavement of the church of san petronio where the sunbeams mark the time among the kneeling people would give it a fanciful and pleasant interest bologna being very full of tourists detained there by an inundation which rendered the road to florence impassable i was quartered up at the top of an hotel 
in an out-of-the-way room which I never could find, containing a bed big enough for a boarding school, which I couldn't fall asleep in. The chief among the waiters who visited this lonely retreat, where there was no other company but the swallows in the broad eaves over the window, was a man of one idea in connection with the English, and the subject of this harmless monomania was Lord Byron. I made the discovery by accidentally remarking to him at breakfast that the matting with which the floor was covered was very comfortable at that season, when he immediately replied that Milor Biron had been much attached to that kind of matting. Observing at the same moment that I took no milk, he exclaimed with enthusiasm that Milor Biron had never touched it. At first I took it for granted in my innocence that he had been one of the Biron's servants, but no, he said no, he was in the habit of speaking about my lord to English gentlemen, that was all. He knew all about him, he said. In proof of it, he connected him with every possible topic, from the Montepulciano wine at dinner, which was grown on an estate he had owned, to the big bed itself, which was the very model of his. When I left the inn, he coupled with his final bow in the yard, a parting assurance that the road by which I was going had been Milor Biron's favourite ride, and before the horse's feet had well begun to clatter on the pavement, he ran briskly upstairs again, I dare say to tell some other Englishman, in some other solitary room, that the guest who had just departed was Lord Biron's living image. I had entered Bologna by night, almost midnight, and all along the road thither, after our entrance into the papal territory, which is not in any part supremely well governed, St. Peter's Keys being rather rusty now, the driver had so worried about the danger of robbers in travelling after dark, and had so infected the brave courier, and the two had been so constantly stopping and getting up and down to look after a portmanteau which was tied on behind, that I should have felt almost obliged to anyone who would have had the goodness to take it away. Hence it was stipulated that, whenever we left Bologna, we should start so as not to arrive at Ferrara later than eight at night, and a delightful afternoon and evening journey it was, albeit through a flat district which gradually became more marshy from the overflow of brooks and rivers in the recent heavy rains. At sunset, when I was walking on alone while the horses rested, I arrived upon a little scene which, by one of those singular mental operations of which we are all conscious, seemed perfectly familiar to me, and which I see distinctly now. There was not much in it. In the blood-red light there was a mournful sheet of water, just stirred by the evening wind, upon its margin a few trees. In the foreground was a group of silent peasant girls leaning over the parapet of a little bridge, and looking now up at the sky, now down into the water, in the distance a deep bell, the shade of approaching night on everything. If I had been murdered there in some former life, I could not have seemed to remember the place more thoroughly, or with a more emphatic chilling of the blood, and the mere remembrance of it acquired in that minute is so strengthened by the imaginary recollection that I hardly think I could forget it. More solitary, more depopulated, more deserted, old Ferrara, than any city of the solemn brotherhood, the grass so grows up in the silent streets that anyone might make hay there, literally, while the sun shines. 
but the sun shines with diminished cheerfulness in grim ferrara and the people are so few who pass and repass through the places that the flesh of its inhabitants might be grass indeed and growing in the squares i wonder why the head coppersmith in an italian town always lives next door to the hotel or opposite making the visitor feel as if the beating hammers were his own heart palpitating with a deadly energy i wonder why jealous corridors surround the bedroom on all sides and fill it with unnecessary doors that can't be shut and will not open and abut on pitchy darkness i wonder why it is not enough that these distrustful genii stand agape at one's dreams all night but there must also be round open portholes high in the wall suggestive when a mouse or rat is heard behind the wainscot of a somebody scraping the wall with his toes in his endeavours to reach one of these portholes and look in i wonder why the faggots are so constructed as to know of no effect but an agony of heat when they are lighted and replenished and an agony of cold and suffocation at all other times i wonder above all why it is the great feature of domestic architecture in italian inns that all the fire goes up the chimney except the smoke the answer matters little coppersmiths doors portholes smoke and faggots are welcome to me give me the smiling face of the attendant man or woman the courteous manner the amiable desire to please and to be pleased the light-hearted pleasant simple air so many jewels set in dirt and i am theirs again to-morrow ariosto's house tasso's prison a rare old gothic cathedral and more churches of course are the sights of ferrara but the long silent streets and the dismantled palaces where ivy waves in lieu of banners and where rank weeds are slowly creeping up the long untrodden stairs are the best sights of all the aspect of this dreary town half an hour before sunrise one fine morning when i left it was as picturesque as it seemed unreal and spectral it was no matter that the people were not yet out of bed for if they had all been up and busy they would have made but little difference in that desert of a place it was best to see it without a single figure in the picture a city of the dead without one solitary survivor pestilence might have ravaged streets squares and market-places and sack and siege have ruined the old houses battered down their doors and windows and made breaches in their roofs in one part a great tower rose into the air the only landmark in the melancholy view in another a prodigious castle with a moat about it stood aloof a sullen city in itself in the black dungeons of this castle parisina and her lover were beheaded in the dead of night the red light beginning to shine when i looked back upon it stained its walls without as they have many a time been stained within in old days but for any sign of life they gave the castle and the city might have been avoided by all human creatures from the moment when the axe went down upon the last of the two lovers and might have never vibrated to another sound beyond the blow that to the block pierced through with forced and sullen shock coming to the po which was greatly swollen and running fiercely we crossed it by a floating bridge of boats and so came into the austrian territory and resumed our journey through a country of which for some miles a great part was under water 
the brave courier and the soldiery had first quarrelled for a half hour or more over our eternal passport but this was a daily relaxation with the brave who was always stricken deaf when shabby functionaries in uniform came as they constantly did come plunging out of wooden boxes to look at it or in other words to beg and who stone deaf to my entreaties that the man might have a trifle given him and we resume our journey in peace was wont to sit reviling the functionary in broken english while the unfortunate man's face was a portrait of mental agony framed in the coach window from his perfect ignorance of what was being said to his disparagement there was a postillion in the course of this day's journey as wild and savagely good-looking a vagabond as you would desire to see he was a tall stout-made dark-complexioned fellow with a profusion of shaggy black hair hanging all over his face and great black whiskers stretching down his throat his dress was a torn suit of rifle green garnished here and there with red a steeple-crowned hat innocent of nap with a broken and bedraggled feather stuck in the band and a flaming red neckerchief hanging on his shoulders he was not in the saddle but reposed quite at his ease on a sort of low footboard in front of the post-chaise down amongst the horses tails convenient for having his brains kicked out at any moment to this brigand the brave courier when we were at a reasonable trot happened to suggest the practicability of going faster he received the proposal with a perfect yell of derision brandished his whip about his head such a whip it was more like a home-made bow flung up his heels much higher than the horses and disappeared in a paroxysm somewhere in the neighbourhood of the axle-tree i fully expected to see him lying in the road a hundred yards behind but up came the steeple-crowned hat again next minute and he was seen reposing as on a sofa entertaining himself with the idea and crying ha ha what next oh the devil faster too shoo-hoo-hoo this last ejaculation an inexpressibly defiant hoot being anxious to reach our immediate destination that night i ventured by and by to repeat the experiment on my own account it produced exactly the same effect round flew the whip with the same scornful flourish up came the heels down went the steeple crowned hat and presently he reappeared reposing as before and saying to himself ha ha what next faster too oh the devil shoo hoo 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 end of chapter six